Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. When your guest has been a business news TV anchor and has worked for Bloomberg, CNN, ABC, CBS, and New York One, and is currently the founder of the Women's Leadership Lab, a leadership development platform for executive women that features a mastermind and a public speaking masterclass, you expect poise, preparation, and a thought-provoking conversation. But what you don't expect is the moment the tables are turned and the guest is interviewing the host, which is what happened with today's guest, Joya Das, when she started asking me questions. You'll have to listen in to find out how that happened in our conversation on how women leaders market and brand themselves. Enjoy. Joya, I am so looking forward to our conversation today on how women leaders market and brand themselves. But before we get started on that, I'd like to start with this question. Where are you from? Where am I from? I love this question because I get it from cabbies. I get it at the airport. I get it when I'm traveling abroad. And that's always a very complex question for somebody who is first generation born to immigrants from another country because it's also context dependent. I know mm-hmm. that the guy at the gas station or the Uber drivers ask me because he is Indian and he wants to make a kindred spirit connection. But then that often devolves into, are you married? Why do you live alone? Where are your parents? And this whole like <laughs> rabbit hole of questions that I do not want to answer. So it's funny, I was in Milwaukee. My partner is, is white and he's from Milwaukee and his mother and I had gone to a gas station and the gas station attendant was Indian. And he was very excited because I'm sure that the Indians in Milwaukee are far and few between. And he was like, where are you from? And I said nothing because I'm so weary of this question. And his mom pipes up and she's like, oh, she's Indian. I was like, oh, here we go. Um, But I am originally from Pennsylvania, which is the (laughs) answer I gave to the Uber driver yesterday morning at 530 a.m. But my parents are respectively from Calcutta and Burma. And they settled uh, in central Pennsylvania, where there was a small clutch of Indians already settled when they decided to move there. And that's where I was born and raised. But I've been in New York City since I was 23. Okay, so I would never, I, I, I don't know you that well, but I know enough of you and spent enough time around you. Never in my wildest dreams would I have guessed that you grew up in central Pennsylvania yeah. um, because you are like the quintessential New Yorker, in my opinion. And that was a compliment. <laughs> That's that's definitely, definitely a compliment. Um, And I have to admit, as I'm, as you're starting to talk, I'm thinking, wow, like you might be the first actual professional news anchor type that I have ever interviewed. And now I'm getting a little bit of imposter syndrome here as I'm about to interview you. So I'll get (laughs) over it. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. So you went from being a business news anchor for 20 years, delivering hourly reports from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, which is no easy feat, for Bloomberg, CNN, ABC, and two of my alma maters, CBS and New York One News, to being the founder of the Women's Leadership Lab. So can you talk about how that happened and what exactly the Leadership Lab is? Yeah. So... I think the compounding factor in my doing business news, which means that you're on the air every hour, 
on the hour. Bathroom breaks are very short, hard to come by. Um, I also have done morning news, which meant that I was up at 2.30 and to work by 3.30 on the air by 5. And so at that point, that's not a job, that's a lifestyle. And it's also just getting it out, getting it out, getting it out without really stopping to make things very beautiful. And so when my contract came up with ABC in 2010, I thought to myself, I really want to do documentary production because I want to take time to revise and I want to be able to take time to make things beautiful. And on my deathbed, I want to look back and say, I have this body of work that I can be proud of because I mm -hmm. didn't have that. And at that point, I was already 10 years in. So I started a documentary production company. I'd taken on a partner. My partner had started something called Lady Drinks in Toronto. It was a way for women in film and TV to come together every month, network, get jobs, find babysitting, whatever it is that women needed. So when she moved to New York, she married a, a New Yorker and we started our company. She said, why don't we start hosting Lady Drinks meetups in New York? I said, great. I was so focused on the business. I didn't care. Uh, what I didn't expect was in those first few meetups, it was eight women, 40 women, 300 women clocking 300 women consistently for a couple of events. And all of them were Indian. Most of them were Indian. What I hadn't realized that a whole generation had grown up watching me on TV at a time that no Indian women were on TV. And so all of a sudden, I was in a place of responsibility, whether I liked it or not. I'd just been hiding behind the television lens this entire time. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I already interview CEOs and titans of business every day on the floor of the stock exchange, whoever's ringing the opening or closing bell. What if I took that dynamic, moved it in front of this audience that is building something? They're now entrepreneurs. They're hungry for this information. And I did the same interviews, but for the benefit of an audience that could soak this information up. And that is what began my business. Uh, and people today often ask me, do you miss journalism? I'm like, I'm doing everything I did in journalism in moderating conversations, interviewing thought leaders and putting together a timeline by which things need to be delivered and done, especially with live events. Um, so that's how my business got started. Now, the Women's Leadership Lab today is truly born out of a personal pain point. Um, again, I was born to immigrant parents who are not emotionally, financially set up to be able to support a little girl saying to them, I want to be a news anchor. So I left home at 18 and I paid for college by myself and I paid for graduate school by myself. And I moved all around the country to come to New York and do what I wanted to do since I was four years old, which is become a news anchor. However, there is no playbook for a small girl <laughs> from a small town in Pennsylvania to suddenly be holding an audience with C-level people. Where was that playbook and where was I going to find it? There was nowhere to be found. I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall, watching other people and then mimicking their behavior. So I was like, well, let's formalize this. And that was the germ that became the Women's Leadership Lab. It was like, if you are today, now I'm 11 years into my business, looking for that next level and don't know where that playbook exists, let's crowdsource it from a group of women that are at the same level as you and ha or have maybe an equal or bigger goal. Um, so at the core of my business is a mastermind, and that is the business model and the model of conversation that dominates most of my events, as well as my retreats, as well as my um, core group that comes together each month. You know, as, as you're talking, it's just kind of amazing what you've done. But I actually think the first time I met you 
was, I was just one of the few white women that showed up to a ladies drinks events <laughs> based oh. on what you're saying. Um, and it was in very early stages and I can't remember where it was. It was someplace down in the village, I want to say. And I think it was because I had met your partner someplace else. I think that's how I found out about it. But that's, yeah. and to see what you've created and what you've built is, is pretty, it's pretty impressive. Everything begins with a thought, you know, everything begins with a thought. So the topic today is how women leaders market and brand themselves, which is something that you clearly are focusing on and something that's near to dear to my own heart and to my own work. So I know how I define a personal brand, but I am interested in how you define a personal brand. Yeah, I do this with clients and women leaders all the time in what's called a VIP day. And in the lead up to our intensive together, I asked them to do a couple of things. Number one is that you probably already have a brand that's operating. You just aren't aware of it yet. So I ask them to go out and interview six people in their lives. They might be clients. They might be former bosses. They might be friends. But these can't be yes people. These have to be people that are going to be very honest in saying the first impression you make when you walk into the room. And where do you what do you do really well? And where are the gaps? And I think that last question is the biggest key is like, what do you need to do to improve? And you've got to be able to have the stomach to take it. Um, <laughs> so I think that it's important to take inventory and know what brand is already in place. And if you want to change that, then that narrative also is something that you need to be made aware of. The second thing is if you already have clients, if you're already working with people, chances are there are things that you love about them. And there are things that they love about you. So again, I send people on a little mission to go and interview three clients and find what those things are. What do they have in common? And what are the gaps? And then the other thing that's truly, truly powerful, um, time and time again, it doesn't matter if it's a male client or a female client, but I asked them to do something called a time log exercise. And I actually uh, learned this from Elizabeth Crook, who is a very uh, successful executive coach down south. Um, she and I were in a writing retreat together and she shared this exercise. Break your life down into three-year increments starting at 14 years old, all the way up to your current age and three years past. List the most significant events that happened in each of those three-year increments and then theme it. And once you've like dumped the proverbial purse out onto the, onto the piece of paper. What are the three most pivotal moments in your life where you made a significant change? And what do those moments all have in common? And I remember doing a uh, VIP day with a woman in Montreal, and she had switched from the uh, fintech space to the climate tech space, but she was having a real struggle connecting the dots between her former avatar and her current avatar. So I did this exercise with her and it turns out that there was a moment in time where she was about to give birth to her first child. She was in Mozambique because she was in FinTech before FinTech was FinTech. She was helping unbanked women get access to bank accounts and be able to be the steward, financial stewards of their families. And so she was in Mozambique about to give birth to her first child, was going to go and give birth in a hospital, modern hospital down in South Africa. Meanwhile, she had dedicated about five years at this point to really building a team, growing a team, making it successful. And when she announced that she was leaving to give birth to her child, they fired her. And it was at this moment that she was compromised for the first time as a mother, as a leader, as a woman. And that narrative truly informs 
everything she does today. She's an active investor in the climate tech space. She is an advisor to startups, but she wants to change the narrative that if a founder decides to go off and have a child, it does not mean that the business has to go off the rails. But it wasn't until we did this deep dive into her personal stories that this piece of her brand was born out and she was able to articulate it and now has just landed her dream job. So I, I just think that those are three sort of critical steps without giving you the entire, you know, apple cart right now. But I think there is so much power in personal stories and people need courage, courage to be able to go there to tell those stories, not confidence. It's the other C word. <laughs> the other C word, courage. No, you're absolutely right. Because there is a difference between confidence and courage. I, I, I don't think everyone realizes that. I think people tend to use it interchangeably. So there's two things there. First of all, I had to was chuckling at the beginning when you said that you already have a personal brand because that's something I always tell people. It's a question of whether or not you've been paying any attention to it and what you want to do with it. But um, you're also, the end of what you just said here is kind of feeding into my next question, which is about knowing your story because that's the core of any brand building is if you don't know who you, your, what your story is and you're not comfortable with it, which I think is the second part of it, you can't really build a brand. But my own experience has been that this is challenging, especially for women, the owning part when once you get around that. Why do you think that is? Even for the most successful around uh, uh, among us, what do you think that is? Uh, gosh, I'll cite the example of a client I just worked with. I She was going from working in the corporate space to now launching her own advisory. And at that point, you don't have the name, the pedestal, the, you know, the legacy to stand on. The only thing you have to stand on is yourself. And, and you are the most unique thing you bring to the table. And if you don't insert that into your branding or your, your social media or your collateral, then you're just one in a sea of other people that do the same damn thing all day long. And she is absolutely terrified, terrified of the idea of being able to put herself into any of her stories. And she has yet to do it. I'm watching her social media and she's yet to do it. And so here's what I will say. There's a lot of trauma that women sustain and that is sitting just beneath the surface. And when you go out and become a business owner, your business is only as healthy as you are. And so if you haven't done the personal work in healing all of those wounds, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to insert yourself into your story. Now, my mastermind is eight women. One And one of them is really struggling with this right now because she cannot, and she's very good at like, you know, reading, you know, the history of the Roman empire and repeating, you know, what the social and political dynamics were at that time. But I don't get to learn anything about her if she doesn't insert herself into that story. And I'm realizing as I'm working with her is that that trauma is sitting just beneath the surface. It takes no amount of energy or time to be able to prick that uh, and open up that Pandora's box. And so as much as our society, I'm Indian, that you know we really club you over the head like a baby seal on the idea of education and, and professional success. I think that people don't tend to their personal success and their personal development, which is, why my mastermind is designed the way it is. 50% of that work has to be personal development work because otherwise you're just not going to go head to head and toe to toe with the professional progress. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and as you're speaking, I, I think some of those traumas are not necessarily just your own personal, but generational trauma that exists for women. 
Yeah. Because I, I was raised second generation Greek American and, you know, women had a place in the home. They didn't have jobs. They didn't go out there and go this crazy non-traditional route, certainly that I did. But I think those things sit with us even when we're not aware of it, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. And they do have an effect and, and they definitely have an effect in being able to own your story. Love what you said. Okay. I, I just feel like no one can see me right now, but I just keep nodding my head to most almost everything that Joy is saying, because we are definitely on the same, on the same plane on, on this. So what are the challenges? What other challenges do you think women face in crafting and building their personal brand? And, and also along those lines is, are these challenges different from how men in leadership positions approach this? I don't even know. Yeah, that. great question. I think that there is so much noise, so much noise coming at us right now from every which direction, depending on what social media platform you are, that your authenticity and your story is the only really robust arrow you have in your quiver. It's the only thing that's going to stand out. And people are savvy enough to know when you are speaking in platitudes versus speaking from a really raw and an authentic place. Mm -hmm. I think that men are better at it. I've seen, uh, there's, there's a person of the Jewish faith that's on um, LinkedIn and has thousands and thousands of followers, but he's very raw and very honest about the work-life balance that he struggled to achieve. And that now he's doubling down today on his family, but he's not afraid to bear, you know, all the years that he wasn't present and that he wasn't there and, and, and the damage and the toll that it took on his family. So I think, Men have been trained and conditioned to be more courageous, and that comes out even in their authenticity. They're able to bear their soul in a way. Women, on the other hand, are like, well, I don't want to share that story because I'm not sure if it's allowed, and I don't want to be laid bare that way. I'm like, well, there's there's solutions for that. That's what I'm here for. Let's let's put the story out, but out there, but then let's figure out a way to elegantly tell that. You aren't born knowing how to do this. You can learn this, but don't, you know, look, don't already cut yourself off at the knees by saying, I'm not even going to put this out there because I don't know how to elegantly put it out there. So I, I think that the other challenge then in the answer to your question is investing in someone that can help you to tell that story and articulate it in a way that you are comfortable with. It's like almost all or nothing. It's like, well, I'm not, I just spoke with a woman who's in the healthcare space and she's like, well, I still have a corporate job. I don't know how much I really want to share about my entrepreneurial journey. I mean, she's not going off and, you know, <laughs> you know, smuggling cocaine across the border. She just happens to have like a, a business on the side. And that business could actually be additive to the career that she has because it's in service of the medical community. But again, it's like it's st they're stopping themselves because they don't know how to tell that story in an elegant way. Well, yeah. And having been inside the corporate world for a long time, I also know that when as soon as you open your mouth that you've got something else going on, certainly Certainly, if you're a woman, because I've experienced this, then you're not paying attention to what the real work is. That's that's the story that they start creating about you. And that could be part of why she's uncomfortable with it. That's exactly what she said. Well, when I was still in corporate, I was writing a novel. And I know when word got out that I was doing something else that, that was not looked upon favorably. I was like, I couldn't do two things at once. So, um, which turned out I could until I wasn't, so. <laughs> but I have a question for you. Then how was writing that novel, though, additive to the job that you were currently doing? Because I don't believe that they were probably living in two different silos. 
Well, that's a great question. Oh, you ask, you see, this is what happens when you have a journalist on your <laughs> podcast. She starts asking you questions. Well, for me, it was necessary because the, the business that I had gotten into always had a high degree of creativity in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then that started to change and it became much more how much money we have in the books, what's going on. The creativity was kind of sapped out of it. It's even worse so now uh, because I was on the ad sales side of the business. So for me, it was necessary for my own health to have something that was a creative outlook. There you a- go. Outlet, excuse me. It was a, a creative outlet. It was a place where I could tap into my creativity because that is a big part of who I am. I can sell anything to anyone, just tell me what it is and I'll figure out a way to sell it. But I need that creativity aspect of it. And that was, and so it was really helping me much more from my own personal sanity. And who do you think you needed to tell that to, to the naysayers that were saying, this is going to take your eye off the ball? You know what, in that environment, it was, you know, this is, you know, I've been out of the corporate world since 2008 and uh, you open your mouth like that then, and you already shown the door. Mm. There was no, there was no, just no place for it. I think it's changed a lot. I hope it's changed a lot, not as much as it should have changed, in my humble little opinion, from what I hear about what goes on internally. But um, that was just not, it was not looked at. I tell this to my students. This is when I started out in the business, you had a job. Whatever your title was, was your job. Mm-hmm. Today's world, we want to know what your job is, but we want to know what else you do. People are Mm -hmm. curious. Oh, she likes to hike, she likes to ski, whatever other aspect that kind of rounds you out, the other other parts of of what your life is. But that wasn't like that then. Mm -hmm. And so you just kept your mouth shut about it. It was just, it was just, it was a whole different world. Yeah. I don't don't know if that really explains it at all to you, but. I just wonder who the stakeholders that today you would tell that to and say, this is actually for me, not, you know, to my to my I think, detriment. I think it depends on who you're working for. I think it depends on who those leaders are and where their 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 mindset is. Yeah. So it's a whole it's a whole a whole other conversation. This is great. I maybe maybe we'll do another episode and you'll just mm-hmm. interview me. <laughs> <laughs> um where am I here now? Okay, oh here, this is one I have because I'm very curious about this. You focus a great deal on the importance of public speaking for women leaders in your work. So can you talk about that? I think most people, most women think that public speaking is getting on a stage and doing a TED talk. Mm -hmm. And I think that public speaking is running a meeting. Public speaking is introducing your friend at a networking event. Public speaking is explaining to the doctor what's going on with your kid. And I have the benefit of being in front of a lot of women because I train them and they just go on and on and on and on and on. And at some point you don't realize that it's actually to the detriment of the message that you're sharing and succinctness is so much better. So I think that teaching how to get your point across quickly and being able to react to the information that's being presented in front of you instead of the talk track that's in your head is something that really has been drummed out of people. And being able to train that is is a big chunk of my work. Um, Even, you know, just I have women that meet every week and it cannot be group therapy. I make it clear. You are here to present a business challenge. We're going to go around the horn and source possible solutions, but I will shut the conversation down if it starts to go off track because you are losing the promise that you have made to everybody in the room about what this thing is. 
And so I think that people lose sight of that. Like when you go off on a tangent or you're on your soapbox, you have lost the promise of what it is that you said at the outset you were going to do or say. And so that is why I'm such a huge advocate for better public speaking, whether you're doing it in service of your brand or you're doing it in service of your team. I mean, running a great meeting is a huge act of public speaking and service. No, I love what you're saying. And again, no one can see me shaking my head over here, but it's one of the things that, you know, is part of my mission right now too, and which I do with my students, but the book that I've just finished crafting your pitch, a storytelling framework is focusing on how do you get your message across? It's much more for legitimate marketing pitches, but that whole idea that learning how to convey our ideas in a short period of time is just so much, it's so important. And I think it's going to be even more important as we, AI starts to become a bigger player in our lives, because that's what differentiates us. If if we're going to sound like whatever AI just spewed out, what what value do we bring to the table? And this is where our personal stories become so important. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's the only layer that nobody can harvest and throw into an algorithm and spit back out. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so we talked a little bit about this already, about authenticity, which I think is overused, but it's really important. And yet we've all seen, again, we, we, we've seen women in leadership at positions appear really uncomfortable what advice would you give? Oh, we kind of talked about this already. I realized this, but um, what advice would you offer to women to approach their brand from a place of true authenticity? Because again, again, it's an overused word, but it's an important word because if you said this earlier, if we're not being authentic, we're not going to connect with anybody. I have two examples that I want to share. I have a woman who was in traditional banking in Canada, and she had one of the top performing teams, even through the pandemic. Um, because she was such an amazing leader. Uh, By the end of our work together, she was very clear that she did not want to be in traditional banking anymore. She wanted to start her own fund. And so by the, my classes are six weeks long by class five, she had handed in her resignation. And she started to record videos about that last day and leaving. And she was so surprised by the well of people who didn't even know her and never said hi to her in the hallway, emailing her saying that she had had impact on their lives. And one of the things that she talks about again and again is that through the pandemic, she did like workout classes and cooking classes and wine tastings and really doubled down on building the culture on her team, which is why she had one of the highest performing teams in all of Canada by the end of the pandemic when everybody else's businesses was down. So I think that she was not afraid to bring the things that she highly valued. She's a big workoutaholic to her team and say, we're going to drive culture forward this way. And it actually was to the business's benefit. So I think that's one great example of authenticity. Um, I had a woman who really, really struggled with her job interviews. She was just not getting past interview number one. She would never get a call back. And in our work together, I started to really push her for those very personal stories. And I think it took her till about class four of six, just she shared a story of a time that she was homeless as a teenager. And I always say like, it's not enough for you to share your personal story. I want you to share the learnings that you got from that experience. And the takeaway that she gave to the audience is at that moment in time as a 14 year old and homeless, she didn't want charity. She wanted options. She wanted people to offer her options and her having the agency to pick. 
Well, don't you know, shortly after that, she started to get through to round two of interviews, round three of interviews. She started to actually demand things by the end of the interview for the next interview. She wasn't just going to leave it in the in the hands of the person sitting across the table. And now she has a job with a 15% pay bump. But it wasn't until she started to get off the platitudes and the high level crap and really got personal and shared this story that she's never shared with anyone before in class that she made that breakthrough. That is an amazing, and it's an amazing story. There seems to be a theme running through everything that you're saying too. It's all about that getting to what your personal story is and, and knowing that it's okay to bring that into a business situation, which again, I, you know, cause I've been around long enough is something that is relatively new to being accepted. And I'm not, I'm still not sure it's going to be accepted in every single organization, but more so, yeah. more so now. How do you, you, you I, before we leave that point though, we talked about the comparison between men and women. Mm-hmm. I had interviewed a, a leader at Google and he was uh diagnosed with cancer. And that meant that he was going to be out for chemo treatments for quite some time. And he wasn't gonna be able to lead the way he used to be able to lead. He had to come in and tell people that he's like, you know, there was no room for me to, you know, hide and just sort of pretend that my team was going to go on autopilot while I was away significantly more than I used to be. He's like, I had to share my story about what was happening with me. For him, it was a no brainer. But uh, I don't know necessarily that that would be the same decision-making process that women go through. No, I don't think so either. I don't think a lot of men would either. I mean, I think it depends on who you are. I, and I think that, you know, what he did was so valuable to the people who worked for him. Because when mm-hmm. you have stuff like that going on, it is going to affect you even when you think it's not affecting you. And when right. people know, well, I didn't know that was going on, or when they're just thinking, oh, you're being a real ass today or whatever, you know, because I'm sure you're going to have days like that when you would be like that. I think it just helps everyone to be more understanding of what is actually going on, because we do have lives outside of our businesses, although some yeah. of us, our businesses, is it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a vague, vague um differentiation between the two. You bring adventure into a lot into your work too, this adventure leadership. Can you talk about that and how that fits in with all the rest of this? Yeah, this goes back to when I started my business. So I, you know, I started a documentary production company and I took a team of five men, uh, a film crew to Tamil Nadu, India. And we weren't going to like, you know, a, a city with the four seasons. We were in the middle of nowhere. And um, managing that crew was probably at that point my most ambitious project to date, but it was such a growth opportunity for my leadership. However, the thing I noticed with these five guys is that they did not come back eight weeks later, the same men that had boarded that plane at JFK eight weeks before. And I saw how indelibly changed they were in their relationship to each other, in their relationship to the place that we'd gone, in their relationship to themselves. They just were not the same people. And they were articulating that to me. So that was when the first sort of germ of an idea was placed in my mind that if I did this with women, especially the ones that are really struggling to get out of their comfort zone, what does that change of context offer you? I mean, I'm somebody who elected to go to Casper, Wyoming, population 50,000 with a minority of 2%, you know, for my first on-air market because I welcomed the adventure of it. I didn't want to go to a suburb of Detroit. I'd already grown up in the suburbs of Pennsylvania. I wanted and welcomed the idea of going and living somewhere that was so different than New York City. 
Um, but m- most people aren't hardwired that way. So if I can be the shepherd and I can be like, all right, I'm going to lay it all out for you. All you have to do is give me your credit card and show up for this <laughs> thing that I've created. I promise you that you're going to come back a different person. Um, so I'm just back from my annual sale that I host. I'm a big fan of doing sales. And people ask me, like, well, why do you, why the sale? Like, I'm not doing any programming. I'm putting 30 women 20 women, five women, all in a closed ecosystem. And all you have to do is get to know each other. All you have to do is network. And I'm telling you that, you know, last year I had 30 women and their spouses and their kids and their nannies and all on a boat in Croatia. And they just came back with relationships that were far, far deeper Mm -hmm. than they would have if they had gone to any networking event. And one of the women said to me, she's like, you know, if I went to a networking event, chances are I would probably just stick with the people I came with and maybe I would meet one other person. But because you constructed activities on every single island, I got to meet all 20 adults on this ship in a very sort of deep way. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that. So there's a method to my madness, but I'm such a big fan of taking out of your uh, comfort zone and changing context and seeing what comes up as a result. And it seems to be working so well. Okay. So one last question before we get to the lightning round. And again, this, my listenership on this podcast is people like ourselves that have been out there in the workforce for a while and also my students. So one what advice would you give to, say, a young woman or a young gentleman who's looking to take their personal brand to the next level? They're just starting out, but, you know, they're, they're coming out of graduate school. What kind of advice would you give to them? One of the most powerful exercises I think I ever did was in a mastermind during the pandemic. The facilitator threw 50 values up on a screen, and she said, I want you to pick 10. Then I want you to narrow that list down to five. And then I want you to narrow that list down to two. And those two words that you ultimately pick should be the definer of who you are when you strip away work. Again, I'm Indian. I was, it was drummed into me from a very young age. The professional success is all that matters. So this question was quite a jarring one for me. But it came to no surprise that my top two values were adventure and beauty. And today I've built a business around that. So if you do nothing else figure out what your North Star is, figure out what your value system is, and then build a life around it. You'll never be sorry. Wow. Okay. Love that. So a little lightning round before we wrap things up. Yeah. Favorite social network? Instagram and Twitter. And Twitter. I mean, X, the network formerly. Yeah, it's X. But I I feel I learn the most from people on Twitter. Um, There's a lot of you know, posturing and, oh, I got this like award that was made up two minutes ago on LinkedIn, which just drives me bananas. But on LinkedIn, I follow a lot of people that I actually learn from on how to innovate my business. Um, so Twitter slash X is, is probably one of my favorite learning platforms. Interesting. Cause I've been off of that. I have many, it's a whole of the, I should have a whole podcast because X keeps coming up on my mm-hmm. personal views on that place. Okay. Something people would never guess about you. I'm funny. Yes, you are funny. And I've had drinks with you, so I know you're funny. Okay. Last series you binged. Oh, Made in Heaven. It's about two wedding planners in Delhi. And my God, the color palette, the set design, the wardrobes, the writing. It's on Amazon Prime. There's only two seasons of it. It's very accessible to an American audience. But I actually just watched season two all over again yesterday. All right. I'm putting that one on my list. I need a new show. Last book you read. Oh, wow. I feel like I'm always reading 10 books at a time. Uh, Our 
common friend, Kelly Hoey, gave mm-hmm. me the um, the story of Splendid and the Vile. I had to think about it for a second, which is the story of Winston Churchill. Uh, I'm reading that, and I'm also reading 10X versus 2X by Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. Okay, you sound like me. I always have two or three books going at the same time, and nothing. And then what, what happens with that is I'm never getting to the end of either. Um, <laughs> a food you can't live without. Popcorn. And what motivates you to get up in the morning? I work out religiously six days a week because I love being able to look in the mirror and be proud of what I see looking back at me. And for many, many years, I was not happy with my body. And so there was only one way to change that, which was to take action. And 5.30 or 6 a.m. is the only time of day that I can be consistent. So where can people find you? I put all the links within the show notes or anything. um, I don't know if you have any openings left in your mastermind or maybe you will, but you always have another one popping up. So there you go, right? There's always another year coming. I'm feeling for the 2024 year class now Mm -hmm. because I only enroll once a year. And that is designed for someone who wants to do all of the things that we just talked about on this podcast, the personal stuff, Mm -hmm. the brand building stuff, the public speaking stuff. My current mastermind is getting ready to give a TEDx style talk on a New York City stage, like a real stage in front of a real audience on November 16th. And I don't know of any other masterminds that that create that opportunity for you. So now I'm enrolling for next year's class that wants to do that and and take part in that. Um, And you can always find me on Joya Das. It's J-O-Y-A-D-A-S-S. I'm that across all of my social media platforms and my website, joyadas.com. Thank you so much. It has truly been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Amazing. Thank you for having me, Joanne. And I look forward to some drinks at Temple Bar soon. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.